Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to episode 34 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, I want to talk about material price increases, uh, equipment increases and your cost increasing once you've signed a contract. So most of the industry has felt the pain of this issue uh, the last two years and there's been a lot of problems with people trying to find ways out of it. We've seen residential builders going broke because there's no way for them to increase the price under their fixed price contracts after a certain point. Um, There's a lot of people who have spoken out and said, look, the builder should just go back and ask the client for more because the client should have to pay more. But the unfortunate thing is once you sign a binding contract, you are bound to complete what you said you would do for a fixed price. And if there's no avenue under the contract for you to be able to increase your prices, then you will be stuck delivering for that price. So a lot of people have been stuck under contract. Subbies have been stuck under contract and being given variations for schedules of rates that are not able to be delivered on anymore. And uh, principals sometimes or builders sometimes have been forcing them to do that because they know that they just simply can't get the same service or good for the same amount of money anymore. So one thing I want to raise is that a lot of people have been really outspoken and said, look, industry associations should step up and fix this problem or the government should intervene. And it's unfortunate, but it is the case that once you sign a binding contract and you're obliged to deliver, unfortunately, if those terms are unfavorable in the future, that's actually a burden for the parties to bear. And if it was such a simple Uh, solution for an industry association or whoever writes the contracts to just put a band-aid fix on the contracts then the industry associations would have done it by now and it isn't actually so easy so I want to actually talk you guys through what the operational and you know the um, the reality of the situation is when you think about the mechanics of your contract and what you might or might not want to disclose when you are signing a contract with your client So there's three main ways that you can have a variable price under a contract. And the first is a good garden variety cost plus contract. And this, I have to say that these options, I should caveat that once you've signed the contract, if you haven't got the terms in your contract that you actually needed from the outset, you're gonna be in a real pickle. You're gonna have to deliver it for the terms that you said you would deliver it for. But moving forward, line in the sand if you've got an opportunity to have better contract terms these are three options available to you to be able to have and manage uh, price increases or cost increases your cost increases under contracts now the first hurdle is obviously that you've got to get somebody to agree to give you one of these contracts or sign one of these contracts with you but it's in terms of the risk benefit or risk reward Um, little scales in your mind when you look at whether or not you've got any bargaining leverage with a client and you really want the job and you're saying to them will you give me a cost plus contract 
maybe the risk for you is just not worth it anymore. And so then the leverage flips over and the owner has to consider, well, do I really want this thing built? And if everyone's saying, hey, it's too risky for me to do this without a cost plus contract, then I'm just not going to do the job. So we're seeing that at the moment with a lot of developers are coming to us and saying, look, um, builders aren't tendering for us unless we have cost plus terms. So this for me is a huge relief to see that tier two builders in the industry who are doing sort of the two to two to twenty million dollar jobs, um, particularly for cash buyers, are now just saying I'm not even going to tender unless it's a cost cost plus contract, and that gives me huge relief because that tells me that when they go to their subbies to get pricing, um, then they're not going to be flogging their subbies so hard. Hopefully they might even back to back cost plus terms with their subbies. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, Somehow I'm a little bit too skeptical to believe that that would ever happen. But a cost plus contract isn't that easy to write because a cost plus contract requires you to disclose your costs to your client. So you have to be very sort of transparent about what your costs actually are and the flip side to that is that the client the owner or the principal whatever you want to call them the employer is going to be worried that you're going to be saying to your subbies this is if you're the builder they're going to be saying to the subbies hey you just stick in whatever you want on that job and give me a discount on the job down the road so we get this anti-competitive behavior issue where principals start worrying that builders, if they give them a cost plus contract, are going to start colluding with the subbies to pay them more on their job and less on the job down the road where they don't have a cost plus contract. And much as we all like to think that everybody's straighty 180, it's not necessarily the case. So in terms of a cost plus contract, your price as the subbie is you give it to the builder. Builder's going to have to give your price to the principal in order to get paid and they literally are passing up cost plus a percentage margin. So that's the first thing about a cost plus contract. Second thing is if you're disclosing, if you're disclosing your uh, cost, you've got to disclose your margin as well, obviously. So it's very transparent, but from a revenue perspective, a 10% margin just does not translate to a 10% net profit margin. It's really something like, 24% or something like that revenue margin that once it comes down to a granular level, once you take out your overhead costs and all of that and your running costs for your business, it comes back to get stripped back to very little in terms of percentage. So a lot of the contracts are written to default to a 10% if no percentage margin is declared under the contract. So cost plus is difficult. The other thing is If you're a subbie under a cost plus contract, say for example, you're a landscaper and you are buying things like pavers and sand and garden furniture and fountains and things like that, you've got to disclose your buy rate to your customer and your competitors might find out what your buy rate is. So cost plus contracts require you to be very transparent in terms of your costs And the concerns from the other side of the fence are that you are going to inflate costs or you're not going to try and mitigate costs or you're just going to try and basically cost as much as possible because the more you cost, the more your margin is. So that's one way of making sure that you can get paid for cost fluctuations under your contract. The second way is, um, I'll, I'll talk about this one next because it's a little bit more about being transparent as well is rise and fall clauses. 
So this was the hot topic when all of these issues happened. Why aren't there rise and fall clauses in contracts? Well, hey, there's two sides to rise and fall. One's rise, the other one's fall. So don't forget that if you are getting something cheaper under a rise and fall um, or the cost of something from an economical or CPI factor um, comes back down as well. So that's the first thing to note about rise and fall. Now, look, I could do probably a three and a half hour podcast on rise and fall and the ins and outs and how it works and all of that. So we're just going to strip it back to just the general principles and how this works in an operational context so that you can actually visualize which one you might think about using and then decide you know, how you would go about implementing that in your contracts or in your business. So a rise and fall clause, if you're a residential builder, um, you would have to incorporate rise and fall clauses into the standard form contracts that you got from industry associations. And those industry association contracts, um, they're not that easy to insert them into. It can be done and we have done it for um, clients before, but what I would say is with your rise and fall, you need to benchmark your starting point. So where you're allowing, say you've got a $300,000 house, and this is the same for subcontractors as well. If you want to have rise and fall in your contracts and your subcontracts, you need to benchmark your starting point. So when you put your price up to the builder, you need to be able to set out what your costs are. And the interesting thing is you actually need to disclose your margin. So that can be all well and good if your margin is 10% or less, but sometimes subbies are charging much, much more than that in terms of margin. And we had a client recently say to us, well, our margin's 34%. That's how we run a successful business. Um, that's, how, that's the revenue margin we need to have in order to translate that back to a net profit margin of this much so for, year, for the annual year. So when you are proposing to someone, to a customer, whether you're a builder or you're a subcontractor, you're proposing that you're going to have a benchmark cost. You have to have a trade breakup to show what each cost component's going to be and what your starting point was when you signed the contract. And then you actually have to tell them what your margin is. So there is a way to embellish or sort of group together your margin with other things so that it doesn't look so obviously like a certain percentage. And one way to do that is it's like preliminaries, offsite overheads and profit and bundling in there something like temporary fence hire or some really low risk items that you don't think are really going to go through the roof in terms of costs. So that's option two is your rise and fall clauses. So option one requires you to disclose your margin and disclose your buy prices. Rise and fall is option two and it requires you to disclose your margin and disclose your buy prices. So suddenly you can start to see why this has not been all the rage through this economic turmoil. Now, the third thing that we've seen people try to do is use provisional sums instead of having clauses in the contract where they say, well, this is the provisional sum that I'm going to allow for in the contract. Well, that has been a bit of a nightmare because when if you're uh, working with a resident owner or a homeowner and you put a provisional sum into a con contract, um, say, for example, you are a residential builder and you stick a provisional sum in for slab, frame and truss and roof because you think they're your high ticket, high risk items and you put $2,000 in for the slab and your com competition down the road puts $30,000 in for the slab. 
Now, you could be seen to be misleading that homeowner because you're not putting a reasonable amount in there for that provisional sum. You ought to reasonably know that the slab is going to cost more than uh, $2,000. Maybe perhaps it's even going to be more than $30,000 depending on the size of the home. But what's really important is that if you are dealing with a homeowner or a resident owner, there are special um, provisions and warranties in the legislation in many states and territories in the country that say that you must make all reasonable inquiries to try and work out what the price is for a provisional sum. So you should be pricing it like a job that you would price where it's not a provisional sum. You should be going out and getting prices and have that evidence in there and substantiate that cost. So we should never see provisional sums of five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand. It should never be a round figure. It should be an actual figure based on a calculation from quotes that you've got because you reasonably tried to work out what the price was. Now, if it's the case that somebody just hasn't chosen something yet, that is completely separate um, and, you know, separate issue entirely, but there might be an allowance that's kept in there. It really should be just a matter of a variation where you would allow the standard and then later they uh, have an upgrade. But if you're a subcontractor and you're working with builders, you have got an opportunity to put provisional sums in there. Uh, Now, what I would say is you should use the same philosophy as somebody working with a homeowner because nobody is going to thank you when you come along with a 40 or 50 or $60,000 bill and say this was the difference because you put a $2,000 allowance in for something that should have been a $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 allowance. You would just set yourself up for dispute and the builder won't have a sufficient budget. So, so important for uh, provisional sums, if you're going to use them, that you have to make all reasonable inquiries to price it at the time. And it should be that a provisional sum is only uh, included in a contract because the scope's not properly set yet or because you can't source a price on that trade at that time. So provisional sums traditionally are not supposed to be used because you think the price is going to change. So there's some muddy waters around that. So neither of these three options is really watertight. It's a um, it's a delicate balance of client management and operational management. And it's easy to point to a contract and say, the contract's not supporting me or the contract doesn't say the right thing or this doesn't give me the right outcome. But like all good things in life, good 80% of it is going to be how you manage the problem, how you anticipate it, how you communicate it to your client and then moving forward how you learn from it. So out of these options in terms of provisional sums, cost plus contracts arise and fall. If you're a subby and you can get a cost plus contract, I would be over the moon. Um, And you need need to negotiate the right profit margin in there. And in order to do that, you need to know what your actual numbers need to be so that you know what your profit margin needs to be um, at a revenue level so that you're actually getting net profit in the bank because... 10% 10% net profit at a revenue level does not equal 10% net profit at a bank, um, cash at bank after all of your other costs. So I hope that's helpful. I just wanted to debunk some things about um, material price increases and how to manage that in contracts. And if you have any further questions, you know what to do. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old-fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies Toolbox. You won't be disappointed there.
And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing boats? Swinging your tools more you gave up? Call us the tricks of your trade! Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter, don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!